great joy to be with you once again. Very long gospel reading. Well done, Tim. <laughs> Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We pray that uh, you would uh, continue to open your word to our hearts and that you would open our hearts to receive your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a delightful story about Robert Louis Stevenson when he was very young. And remember that he lived between the years of 1854 and 1891. As he looked out of his window of his home one day, he saw in the evening an old lamplighter come past uh, on his evening rounds. And as the story goes, uh, the boy's nurse called him uh, to come to supper. But uh, Robert Louis Stevenson couldn't tear himself away from the window. Look, look, he says, there is a man outside punching holes in the darkness. Punching holes in the darkness. This is as good a sermon title as any, I think, because that's what we are looking at in John chapter 9. The property of light is such that it dispels the darkness and enables sight, and seeing rightly is very, very important. We read in the previous chapter, uh, John chapter 8 and verse 12, the words of Jesus when he declares, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but walk in the light of life. Now, the following chapter, the one that was read this morning, chapter 9, is really um, a commentary on those words from John chapter 8. It really explains and further develops this concept of light and darkness, light and life in contrast to darkness and death. And so the first point I want us to uh, focus on uh, this morning from this passage is the lead up uh, to Jesus' miracle. As Jesus was walking along he noticed a sight impaired man whom we are told was blind from birth. Now this man did not ask to be healed uh, and <clears throat> obviously his situation uh, so um, took the attention of Jesus' disciples that they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus gave that reply, neither this man nor his parents. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Significantly, people of those times took blindness for granted and the cause of the man's blindness was the only thing that uh, seemed to interest the disciples. They didn't look beyond his condition and speculated about how he ended up the way he did. Now, this man would have uh, suffered ostracism to a, a great extent, economically, religiously and socially. He would have been an outcast because uh, he would have had to beg to survive he would not have been able to participate in the uh, uh, temple worship and uh, uh, he would have uh, been labelled as an outsider uh, on the assumption that his condition was the consequence of either his sin somehow 
perceived as being committed in the womb or that his condition was the result of his parents' sin. Now, we are much more sophisticated today because when we come across human suffering, we look for reasons for the condition. And this can be anything from poor decisions, bad human choices, or circumstances, so-called acts of God. Now, what must not what we must not do, however, is to fall into the trap of simplistic explanations for suffering. Like many years ago, uh, you might remember when uh, there was the spread of AIDS, a lot of Christians argued that this was God's punishment on the uh, homosexual community. I can remember the 2010 earthquake that devastated Haiti. Now, a lot of people, uh, Christian people, uh, saw that as a punishment from God uh, on that nation because they practiced voodoo and other natural religions instead of seeing it as a catastrophe that wiped out so many uh, um, people's livelihoods, poor people's livelihoods. And probably the, the nation is still recovering from that situation. Now, it does need to be said, however, that the Bible does speak of a general relationship between suffering and sin as a result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But there is not the individualisation of sin. Sin has produced a suffering world, yes, but our personal suffering is not always attributable to our personal sin. Suffering can occur through no fault of the individual, like uh, persecution of Christians who stand up for their faith and suffering can result from direct human intervention such as what occurs through drunken driving or sexual promiscuity. So we have to be careful about sort of uh, uh, coming down with simplistic explanations. The Bible refuses to universalise suffering and in the case of this man born blind Jesus clearly stipulated to his followers neither this man nor his parents sinned. And in order that uh, God's works might be revealed in this man, Jesus went on to say, it is necessary for us to work the works of the one who sent me and to do so while it is still day, while there is still the opportunity. So then, Healing, in this case, was an opportunity for God's redemptive work to be revealed through the actions of Jesus. There was no individualised connection between this man's condition and sin, and so Jesus performed the work of God, in this case, that God might be glorified. And this is not just the mission of Jesus. It's also the mission of the followers of Jesus, so this also applies to us as Christians today. We are to do the works associated with God's salvation, evangelising, preaching, teaching, healing, because these are all seen as gathering fruit for eternal life. And we must remember that night is coming when no one can work as Jesus warned and what was true for Jesus then is also true for us now, that we need to be earnest about our ministry while there is still time, making the most of the occasion. 
The second point that I want to uh, draw your attention to from this particular passage is the actual healing of uh, this man uh, born blind. Now, Jesus healed the blind beggar using a mud pack made from saliva. And Anne mentioned the other instance, too, uh, in uh, Mark's Gospel, where Jesus did something similar. And as a result, this man became the subject of a series of interrogations, firstly by his neighbours, who uh, confessed that they hardly even recognised this man as the man that they knew before the healing. And also, uh, this man was interrogated by the Pharisees, who were more concerned about the spirit of the law, the violation of the Sabbath, rather than the actual healing. And so the Pharisees conducted three interviews with this man. Just imagine the poor man being interrogated three times. Um, firstly, um, the man himself was interrogated by the Pharisees. Then the Pharisees um, turned on the parents of this man uh, to uh, ask for an explanation of what had happened. And then thirdly, uh, the Pharisees turned on the man the second time. Um, and in the second instance, they upped the ante. Now, the Pharisees, as you realise, were concerned about um, the, the letter of the law. That was the way they operated. Whereas the, the liberated man, of course, was concerned about the reality of his healing, which obviously was very significant. One thing I do know, he said, that though I was blind... Now I see. The Pharisees tried to paint Jesus as a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath, thus breaking the Old Testament law. Well, I think there's a message here for us that maybe the spirit of Pharisaism is still with us today. Whenever we are concerned or we value the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, we are broaching Phariseeism. Whenever we are unable to accept the saving and renewing of people's lives because they are different to us, may even have a different theology to us, then we are broaching Phariseeism. And whenever we lose that sense of uh, joy at seeing a person come to the Lord because they're not like us, then we again are broaching Phariseeism. We need to be wary of this. The third and final point from this passage uh, is really the postscript to the actual miracle. When the hill man had been driven away by the self-righteous Pharisees, Jesus brought him out. Uh, Jesus sought him out to clarify his understanding of what had actually happened in his life. And this man responded by realising that Jesus was a lot more than a prophet, that in actual fact he was someone divine. And so the healed man committed to Jesus and he said those incredible words, Lord, I believe, and then he prostrated himself before Jesus. The light had shone in the darkness of this man's ignorance and unbelief. Jesus, as the light of the world, had punched a hole in the darkness and his unawareness and his misunderstanding clarified.
Now, when I read this particular passage of John and prepared for it, it made me um, remember a very significant date uh, in the Torres Strait. Now, we're aware of the Torres Strait. Um, above uh, 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 Queensland, yeah, the, the uh, Cape York. Um, and uh, the Torres Strait is made up of many, many different islands. But in particular, on Thursday Island, the 1st of July every year, there is a very significant ceremony that is celebrated. On July the 1st in 1871, the Reverend Samuel Marsden and others from the London Missionary Society presented a Bible to an elder of a warring clan. Now, this elder was one of many uh, representatives of tribes in the Torres Straits up to that time who uh, waged war on each other and committed uh, retribution uh, for the killing of their own people. And the presentation and the acceptance of this Bible on this occasion uh, was a signal that a change had come over the people. It was as though the light had dawned on the behaviour of these people. Those early missionaries that brought the gospel to the Torres Strait were uh, people who were felt called by God to address the darkness of these people and to bring the light of Christ to them. And so on uh, the 1st of July each year, there is a special service called the Coming of Light where all of the people uh, celebrate the coming of the light of the gospel to their people and they acknowledge that once they were in darkness, but now they are in light. And there's even a service in our Anglican prayer book uh, called uh, A Service of the Light, and uh, that is an opportunity uh, to uh, um, acknowledge that significant uh, event, the coming of the light, which is celebrated uh, throughout the Torres Strait on the 1st of July each year. Well, coming back to our John 9 passage, um, Jesus, at the end of that passage, brings the exchanges between him and the Pharisees uh, to a climax. And he said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see and those who do see may become blind. Now, when we read those verses, it might remind us of other verses that seem to contradict what Jesus is saying there. Uh, for example, in uh, John chapter 3, uh, Jesus said, or this, John records these words, he says, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, when you put those two uh, verses together, it seems as though they clash and there's a contradiction. But when you read the whole of Scripture and uh, the whole of John's Gospel, we see that there is no incompatibility here for both these statements by the Apostle John are true because Jesus coming into this world resulted in both salvation and judgment. The light shines in the darkness of sin, punching holes in the blackness of human ignorance and evil. Those who welcome the light of Christ into their lives become, through faith, light bearers. But those who refuse the light of Christ in their lives turn away into a deeper darkness and they will, by their own choice, go out into the darkness in which no light will ever shine. So light dispels 
the darkness of night and cast shadows on those who hide in darkness. So the coming of Christ resulted in both salvation and judgment. And it's very important that we see rightly, and this can only happen when we have eyes of faith. Well, let me just uh, uh, share one last uh, illustration before I close. Many years ago when I served with the Bush Church Aid Society um, as the regional officer for South Australia and the Northern Territory, my role involved regularly visiting two tiny hospitals uh, way out west on the Nullarbor Plain. Now, the best way of reaching those two hospitals at Cook and Tarkula was to travel there by train, uh, the India Pacific train. Now, in those days, those two very remote hospitals served the railway communities uh, of Cook and Tarkula. Now, um, the hospitals are no longer there. Uh, they've been removed for a number of years, and so the medical needs of these people are catered for uh, by the uh, Royal Flying Doctor Service. But many years ago, the Bush Church Aid Society was uh, responsible for um, recruiting Christian nurses to serve at these hospitals. And there was usually two nurses at Cook and two nurses at Tarkula. And these were nurses who had a sense of calling of going to remote areas of Australia and to using their skills as well as sharing the gospel. One of my responsibilities was to visit these hospitals regularly and to provide pastoral care to these nurses. The more remote township of Cook is exactly halfway between um, uh, Perth and Adelaide and uh, uh, the train uh, would stop for 20 minutes at Cook. Now, when you departed Cook to head eastwards, the eastbound train would arrive at Cook at about 10pm to take on fuel and water and any passengers and then to uh, continue uh, uh, eastwards to Adelaide. Now, when you were at Cook, there was no way that you could uh, run late and miss the train because for at least 30 or 40 minutes uh, you could actually see the train uh, coming from the west and approaching Cook and those big headlights on the locomotive used to sort of cast a beam through the darkness as it headed uh, across the Nullarbor Plain. So there was no way that you could miss the train because uh, of that uh, uh, light beam that you could see in the distance. The light heralded the coming of the train to that small population of Cook. And in many ways, this account of the healing of uh, the man born blind in John chapter 9 heralds the significance of what has happened to us if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We too have been healed. Like the man born blind, we were once blind from birth. We had no natural spiritual perception. For as the Apostle Paul describes in Romans chapter 1, our thinking became futile and our foolish hearts were darkened. But then, by the grace of God, and like the healed man of John 9, we turned from darkness to light, and in particular, the light of the world, and our spiritual sight was born. 
And this new worldview, from a spiritual perspective, progressed as our understanding of Jesus developed with our new spiritual sight. So that Jesus, for us, became not just a man, but the Lord of our lives. And so the healed man's experience, in some ways, is a reflection on what has happened to us, which we need to accept and honour. We have been blessed with spiritual sight, and so we need to live in the light of that sight as uh, we live our Christian lives in the world today. Jesus brought his um, deliberations with the Pharisees to a conclusion at the end of that particular chapter. They were still pretty upset. Um, And in many ways, uh, maybe your experience of becoming a Christian, whenever that took place, upset people. I know it happened in my case. Uh, I came from a non-Christian background. And so when I um, declared to my parents that I'd become a Christian... They couldn't cope with that because it was so foreign, it was alien. Maybe your coming to Christ uh, caused a stir amongst your family and friends. Very often those closest to us are the ones who least understand and accept the transformation in our lives. They may reject our stand for Christ. They may reject our testimony for Jesus, but the one thing they cannot deny is our spiritual enlightenment. One thing we do know, we once were blind, but now we see. We know that in our world today there is much opposition to anyone who takes a stand on Christian faith matters. And we know from organisations like Barnabas Aid, which is geared up uh, to assist churches in non-Christian governments to survive those churches that are under persecution. We know that we will undergo opposition because of our stand for Jesus Christ. But as I close, let me say, let us then, while we still have time, herald the coming of the light of Christ in our lives by forever letting this light not only shine in our lives, but radiate with all the brilliance of a godly lifestyle. And let us buy a life that is bright with the qualities of mercy and compassion and justice. Let our lives punch a hole in the darkness of sin and ignorance all around us. Let me pray. Gracious God, thank you for calling and enabling us to walk in the light of Christ. Keep us in this light and free from darkness in all its forms as we seek to love and serve you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Amen.